Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And I want to minister about Christ's commitment to the nations. Christ's commitment to the nations. Beginning with verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Let's have a word of prayer again. Father, thank you for the commitment that you have in the word of God for peoples of this world. Now help us to be individuals that give towards that end. To see multitudes of people come to know your son. For it's in your son's name that we pray and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Great missionary years ago was in West Africa holding some meetings. And he was preaching way back in the bush where people still did not wear any clothing. That means they came to the meetings practically nude. And this missionary was a great preacher and he prayed and he said, God, this is so difficult to pray and preach to people who have no clothing on, men or women, you see. And he said, God, could you please, you know, just help somebody or someone to set the example to put some clothing on in these mass meetings? So the next evening he showed up and sure enough, his prayer had been answered that someone would have some clothing. One of the Africans had found a necktie and was standing in front of everybody's. Stark naked with nothing but a tie on with a big smile on his face, you see. These are some of the experiences that missionaries encounter in telling folks about Christ. We know from scripture that Jesus ministered primarily amongst the Israelites. We don't know that he really did set his feet outside of the promised land. In fact, when Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit, he returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And he preached and assembled disciples to himself. And of those disciples, he took 12 and made them apostles. And according to the scriptures, he sent them out in chapter 10 of Matthew and said, Go preach only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He said, Don't go unto the Gentiles. Now, Jesus understood that the word Gentile means non-Jewish persons. The Roman Empire stretched over more than 100 provinces and territories from Europe going east toward India. Jesus was familiar with nations in Africa. He knew about uh, certain countries in Central Asia, as we call it today. He was familiar with these areas around the world. But nevertheless, his ministry was to those of the house of Israel. In fact, Paul picks it up in Romans and he says that the gospel is to the Jew first, 
then to the Gentile. Once Jesus climbed up on the cross and died as a Jewish man, fulfilling the law, bearing our sins, they placed him in the grave. And when Jesus got up out of the grave, he was no longer a Jewish man, but he's now king of kings and lord of lords. He's now someone of no particular nationality. And because he's now omnipotent, I'm not present, omniscient. His mind is no longer just focused in a singular sense on Israel, though he had a a sense of the world because that's why he came to die. But now he's saying to his disciples that you are going to have to go. But notice after the resurrection in verse 16, the 11 disciples gathered to the place that Jesus had appointed and some worshiped, others doubted. Now, when it comes to your relationship with God, don't allow other people's unbelief to affect your worship of God. When you gather shoulder to shoulder with other believers and you're worshiping the Lord and your mind is fixed on him and your thoughts are on the Lord and you're meditating on the Lord Jesus Christ, there will always be doubters in the midst. There will always be individuals who doubt things that the Lord has said about himself and things that we have said about the Lord himself. But I'm glad that they did not allow the ones who were disbelieving to hinder them in their relationship with God. Just because some skeptic on television refuses to believe in the claims of Christ. You hold on to the infallibility of the word of God and to the fact that Jesus is the only way to our heavenly father. So if this is the case and Jesus is given one of his final messages as he's assembled with the disciples. Notice he says that all power is given unto me. Now power comes in a lot of different forms. There really are only three kinds of power in this world. You've got human power, man-made power. Then you've got divine power, God's power. And then you've got the divine power in the sense of the devil's power. Well, God, when he saved the apostle Paul, you'll remember Paul's testimony was that Jesus said to him that he was to deliver people from the power of Satan. Even after Calvary, Jesus acknowledged to Paul in a vision that the devil does have some power. If you don't believe me, look at this world. The majority of the world is living in sin. If Satan doesn't have power, why do we have alcoholics? If Satan doesn't have power, why do we have drug addicts? If Satan doesn't have power, why do we have serial killers? If Satan doesn't have power, why do we have liars? If Satan doesn't have power, why are jails packed to capacity in America and all around the world? If Satan doesn't have power, why is there famine? Why is there poverty? Jesus came up out of the grave with a message to the disciples that essentially says, All power is given unto me, all of it. That means that as a believer, we recognize that his power works specifically here in two different spheres, heaven and in earth. That means if you're in a rocket orbiting the moon, the name of Jesus is just as powerful amongst the galaxy of stars as it is for a child sitting in a tree house in a pine tree. That the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus is so mighty and possesses so much ability that we have the right under the authority of Jesus Christ to go into the uttermost parts of the earth because greater is he that is with us than he that is in the world, you see. 
This is where we get our mission from. This is where the great commission comes from. There's no place on this earth that a Christian cannot go if God has specifically commanded us to go. And since he has told us to go, there's no place that we can't go. Now, I've had people in talking about praying, they'll always say something to me like, well, do you even pray about the places you go overseas to preach? I said, pray about it. Jesus said, go. So Jesus said, go. There are people that are lost. He said, go. So I go to preach the gospel. I said, do you have to pray about telling your neighbor next door to you who's lost and on his way to hell? Do you need to pray about whether or not you should talk to them about the gospel? I said, well, no. I said, why would you need to pray about somebody else that's just a little bit further away from you, separated by a few more miles? A friend of mine told me one time, he said, well, well Daryl, you know, I just believe that everybody that comes into this world, their name is already in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's what he told me. He said their name already in the Lamb's Book of Life. But he said, as they get older, if they reject Jesus, then the Lord blots it out. I said, well, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Because I said, if everybody is already born into this world saved, it would seem to me like it's a waste of our time to go preach to people and give them the opportunity to reject the Lord when they're already saved. He said, I think I see your point. <laughs> well, that would, that would hinder evangelism. That would cripple missionary work, you see. The whole point of evangelism and missionary work is to reach the unreachable. And they're only unreachable in the sense that no one has gone to them. Now the Bible says here, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. That means wherever you go on this earth, God's power does work. The power of salvation, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is just as real as saving people in Nebraska as it is saving someone on the island of Mauritius. It's just as real in the Aucklands as it is in saving somebody who's in the Appalachian Mountains or someone in Iceland. God's name is as powerful in an igloo in Alaska as it is in a Burmese jungle camp, you see. To understand from the word of God that when he says all power is given to me, we go with the comfort, the assurance of knowing that we have a mandate from heaven to proclaim the word of God. Whether on a sidewalk, in a living room, in a church, or anywhere, we can talk about Christ. Now this word, go ye, or the word in particular, go, is in the imperative form. And there are a number of ways, at least two other ways, one may look at the Greek word under it. But, you know, it is an imperative. It's a command, a soldierly command to go. But consider this, having gone, having arrived at your destination, theoretically, this is what you should do. Number one, teach all nations. Number two, baptize them. Number three, you're going to teach them to observe what you've been taught to observe. Now, the go is important because when he says that all of you should go, that means there are limits for some of us. I mean, go for you might mean go across the street. Go for you might mean go to another town. Go for you might mean go to another state. Go for someone else may mean go to another country. You see, go ye into all the world. 
And as God begins to speak to our hearts and deals with us on this on this issue, then we realize that there are multitudes of people that are giving their lives and have given their lives for the sake of the gospel. That men and women might know the truth of the word of God. Now, this this world that we're living in right now, you ever thought about uh, the fact that we have um, we got about 238 nations on planet Earth? Yeah, that's a. It's a lot of countries. We have at least 480 countries that have at least 480 cities that have more than a million people in them. That's a, that's a lot of cities. We got at least 20 cities that have at least 10 million people. Two of them in, in America. We got Los Angeles and we got New York. So we got some big, big cities around the world. But in this, this big ball of wax that we're, we're, we're living on, consider Afghanistan. 48,000 mosques, talking about buildings. 48,000 mosques, not one church building. Think of that. Now, I'm hoping that with all of this attention that's being redirected towards Afghanistan, that aside from them tearing down the, the strongholds of those uh, dreadful Taliban creature people, but that they would also establish a way for the Christian aid workers to come in. That in the midst of the Christian aid workers coming in and chaplains and military people, that maybe somebody that speaks the Afghan languages of Pashtun and Derry, maybe they would be able to reach some of the Taliban through a witness and other people and lead them to Christ, you see. It begins with our perspective. It begins with the worldview. And so into the uttermost parts of the earth is where the early disciples went. And when Jesus said go, he meant exactly what he said. And go is not an easy, easy word to obey. Because in order to obey it, sometimes you've got to say goodbye to family members. And you've got to say goodbye to people that may be close to you. But one of the things in the early church we need to understand is that the rabbi very often was closer to his students than the mother and father. They had a little proverb that basically said, it's your father that brought you into this world and raises you up, but it's the rabbi that leads you into the world to come. So your spiritual teacher became more important to you than your natural bond with mother and father, which is why Jesus could say, except you hate your mother, your father, you're not worthy of me. If you put your hand to the gospel plow and then you look back, you're not fit. Everything was about commitment and Christ had a commitment to the nations. And one of the commitments, the first one here is simply to go. See, once you move, then you can reach somebody and each one reached one, as Jesus said, and the early church spread into the uttermost parts of the Roman Empire and other places simply because of persecution and because of the believers uprooting themselves and moving to different locations. Now, this takes us to the question that people often ask. Well, don't you know that, you know, no religion is better than the other one. And it's not right to tell Christians that they need to invade other countries for the purpose of um, subverting the powers of other cultures and other religions upon them. And they ought to just leave people where they are. That's a lie. Jesus gave a command. He said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He said, go and teach all nations. When Jesus were here, was here, there were other religions. When Jesus was here, there were Buddhists on the planet. There were Zoroastrians in Iran. When Jesus was on planet Earth, there were Shintoists and Confucianists that were in Japan. 
When Jesus was here, there were Hindu people because the Hindu people had been around at least 14, 1500 years before Christ. So that when Hinduism began, Moses was on the top of the mountains receiving tablets from God with the finger of God saying, no other gods before me. And God, God knew that when Jesus came, that there would be people who were worshiping other gods. The Romans worshiped other gods. The Greeks worshiped other gods. The Africans worshiped other gods. There's a lot of witchcraft in this world, a mixture of Indian religion and Roman Catholicism down in Latin America. There are religions and beliefs that we don't know anything about. But the only way to pray for the nations and reach the nations, you got to know that they exist. You can't pray for the people in the mountains of Baluchistan, between Pakistan and Afghanistan, if you don't know they exist. You can't pray for people in West Africa, in Gabon, in Cote d'Ivoire, if you don't know there is a Cote d'Ivoire. You can't pray for people on the Melanesian islands, the Black Islands, or the Micronesian islands, the Little Islands, or the Polynesian islands, the Mini Islands, if you don't know those islands exist. You cannot pray for people that are in Swaziland, if you don't know there's a Swaziland, or Slovenia, if you don't know there's a Slovenia. So when Jesus said to teach all nations, he had the nations on his mind. It was a burden on his heart. He's given this burden to the disciples. It is their responsibility to get to know the world. Because this is the world we live in. And if we don't know that uh, there are people that are lost, then how can we reach them? Now, thank God for all the great endeavors taking place as it relates to missions, but I still think one of the best forms of missionaries to uh, mission, uh, missionary work is to move where the people are and stay. You see, stay, learn the language. And I didn't bring it this afternoon, but this morning I had a, uh, I brought a Voice of Healing magazine, and had all these stories of different preachers that were in there from A. A. Allen to W. V. Grant, and other people who were holding meetings around the world. Healing meetings, because, you know, of course, back in the 40s and 50s and 60s, the idea was healing was the dinner bell to salvation. Somebody sees somebody get healed, then everybody comes running and flocking to give their hearts to Christ. And there were stories in there about Clifton Erickson, among other people who were uh, holding meetings. But the thing was, uh, they gave themselves for the gospel. They took boat rides overseas to preach to people, staying sometimes upwards of three and four months, uh, being without their family members. I know people whose fathers were on the gospel trail as full-time evangelists, gone many times for four months, five months, many times, just to preach and hold revivals, to make a living, because this is what God had told them to do, believe in the Lord as they're putting a million miles on that car, or pulling a trailer behind them, telling folks about Christ. I still have friends that pull trailers and do nothing but uh, do full-time ministry, holding camp meetings, but most of them are in denominations, though. We don't have a whole lot of that in independent circles. But, but from God's word, God has called people and is calling people to minister his word and to go into all the world. There was a lady named Jane Collins Daoud who when she was 25 years old, went to Peru back in 1937 and saw a great revival, great, great revival. Out of that, this was long before there was a voice of healing, she began to pray for the sick in Puerto Rico, and she has 
stories. I've got pictures of the, the uh, newspaper articles. When she went to Cairo, Egypt, single woman, 39 years old, 40 years old, preaching Christ. The miracles, blind people healed, deaf ears that were unstopped. She went to the Shuber district of Cairo. 10,000 people showed up, and the majority of them were Muslims. Think of that. I don't even know of a Muslim country today that even allows outdoor Christian gatherings of that magnitude. I know they do it in Indonesia and other places like that, but I don't know of any Arabic-speaking country where they allow that to go on. But nevertheless, as I was reading some of the, the uh, excerpts from that, I mean, it's talking about the people that were possessed of the devil. One young boy, full of the devil, got delivered 1.30 a.m. in the night. He said that he saw three black demons leave his body. See, reading excerpts. See, somebody saw that. He knew that. He knew something had happened to him because he'd come in contact with the Lord Jesus Christ. People with amoeba dysentery, people with cancer, people that were crippled, people that were blind, a woman. And this is America, where in America they were saying in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, God can't use a woman. Women cannot be ordained to do anything related to God. Here's a woman that said, since I can't preach in the male pulpits, I'll preach where God tells me to preach. And went and preached Christ, you see. And thousands of people were changed because she didn't allow the yoke of men to bind her. And she chose to obey the Lord and give a, a very clear witness in the uttermost parts of the year. Teaching all nations. Well, doesn't Jesus know that we ought to leave other nations alone? No. Jesus looks at the other nations that are wrapped up in superstition and bondage. And Jesus says to his people over and over again, go to them, go to them, share my love with them. Because if they die without Christ, it's an eternity that's not pretty. Oh, Arthur Berg was called to go to Africa. He wanted he knew he was called to go into missions. He was a preacher. He just didn't know how to get there and what to do. And this is way back in the 20s, 24, 25. He says that he and his wife were holding hands, walking down the street in Kansas. He said it was a dark night. He said while they were walking, they stopped. You know how you just stop, you're holding hands, talking to one another, just look up in the beautiful clear sky. Said he looked up there, there was a moon up there. He said suddenly up there appeared to him and his wife a map of Africa and the moon was behind it. He said that map was illuminated, but he said there was one particular country that lit up like it was glowing. He said he and his wife knew that's the country they were to go to. They didn't have any money. They went to their uh, missionary board and said, we'd like to go over to Africa. And they said, well, you know, you hadn't been to Bible school. You hadn't been in ministry long enough. Probably not the proper time. He walked out of there knowing that God had told he and his wife they need to go. They just wanted to obey. They didn't have any money. So they decided to sell what little bit they had. Went down there, purchased a ticket to get on the boat to go overseas. And they had just enough money to pay for the ticket. Pay for the ticket. But what they didn't have was money when they got there and a place to stay. And while he was there in line getting the ticket, somebody out of the blue, didn't even know it, never seen him before, walked up to him and said, I just believe God told me I'm going to give you this envelope. Came, gave him the envelope, opened it up, several thousand dollars. Now, several thousand dollars went a long way back in the 20s, you see. And they went over there and spent more than 40 years telling folks about Jesus Christ. Hundreds of people. 
Oh, don't let me tell you about the way that the people tried to starve them out because they were Protestants. The, the majority people over that region who had a little bit of influence were of the Roman church and they didn't want the Protestants coming in and they lived on a compound, an American compound. A number of Americans died with disease. And the leaders of that village had told all of the villagers, you are not to help those American people. You cannot transport food in and you cannot take anything out. So they basically put on like an, um, a besiegement, basically, you know, boycotted them. And they didn't have anything to eat. But he said in the middle of the night, oftentimes little Africans would sneak by and dig up under the wall surrounding their compound. And put a little sack of food up under there just so they have something to eat. Here somebody gave his life for the gospel, you see, with his family. I think all around the world of, of the people that are still missionaries today. Even at the school where I went to in Jordan, uh, Dr. George Kelsey, he was there for 50 years. 50 years, you see. Going back to the early 40s. And here he was, just retired here uh, several years ago, come back to the States. Thank God for the salvation meetings. The healing evangelists that come and go and hold the great meetings and bring the pictures and the cameras and all of that. But, you know, you got to have somebody there to go learn the language. Way up in the mountains there one time in Peru, I was in one of what might be one of my best memories of being down in South America. Wycliffe Bible translators were dedicating a New Testament in another tongue. And there was a couple, had some beautiful kids. They lived down in the jungles. I'm talking where the headhunters and cannibals were. For 14 years, they labored to learn the language so that they could take that language, give it an alphabet, then <clears throat> teach the people the alphabet, and then translate it from their language, the New Testament, into their language. This was the dedication service. There probably wasn't maybe 30, 35 people there, but I sat there looking at that, that husband and that wife. Both of them looked like uh, just from lack of uh, nutrition. Uh, they were very thin. And I looked at them kids, but oh, we all did clap that somebody give that much time of their life to learn a language to tell people about Jesus Christ. All over this earth, there are people that are raising their kids apart from their grandparents, apart from their cousins, husbands that have uh, never made it back to their mother's funeral, daughters who were unable to attend nieces and nephews' graduations, missed birthday parties because of the gospel. And as we sit here today, this thing is going to continue. There's always somebody leaving the mission field, and there's always somebody being called to go. And as long as the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached, the word will be sown in our heart, and there'll be somebody that'll rise up and say, I believe God wants me to do his will. Now, people can do not just overseas missions. There are urban missions. Some people leave the rural areas of uh, the world and Go to the urban areas, the big metropolitan centers. But then there are those that are in the big city places that leave and they go to the rural areas. God's got a place for everybody. There's a ministry for everyone. And if you look at the world as we have it right now with, I don't know, seven billion people, however many folks that's on this big ball of wax, the majority of them do not live in large metropolitan centers. The majority of them live in the rural areas like where we are right now. And the same way the Apostle Paul traveled throughout the book of Acts, he did go to the big places like Athens, but he also went to Lystra. Yeah, he did travel to, to big locations like Ephesus, but he also went to Antioch. 
He went to rural areas preaching Christ and the same God that was real in the big cities was also real in the small, small towns, you see. We should never lose sight of that because I've heard many people teach and I've sat through many missions conferences where the whole idea is you got to get into the big centers because from the big centers you got all the stuff that you can use and then from there we send everybody out to the rural areas. But I've got enough common sense to know that most people that come out of the rural areas and come to the city don't want to go back to the rural areas. They're doing everything they can to stay away from the rural areas. So what you need are people that genuinely are called to a place. Who do I think is the most effective missionary in a town, in a village, in a city? It's not always a native. There are people here in America from other countries that have had greater impact on America than I have, and I'm born and raised here. Yeah. The best missionary or evangelist or worker in a particular place is the one that has really felt that their heart has been touched by God to be there because they will stay there. Good times and bad. They will stay there and they won't buy into all of the things of this world. They say, well, unless unless you've got a church or a denomination or a movement behind you that will back you and put your salary up one year in advance and purchase you a building. It's probably best that you don't get involved with that. No, you go because you believe that God is with you. Well, you know, you don't go out into full time ministry unless you already got, you know, your calendar booked up six months in advance. That's not the way to go. You know, you just start where God opens a door for you and you just stay right there where you are till he opens another. one. Somebody said, well, why are you holding meetings in that church for so long? I'm just waiting on another door to open. You see, that's the whole key. So all over this earth, Jesus has his mind on people that are in other cultures as well as us that are in our culture today. I mean, we've got almost a billion Muslims. Some people say 1.3 billion. I think that's a, that's a very high exaggerated number, but we got at least a billion Muslims. We got a billion probably Hindus. Yeah. God only knows how many atheists. We got to have folks that know Christ. And majority of these people don't speak English. If some of them do speak English, we still have to have people that have learned the language to go into these various places. And when Jesus said, go and teach all nations, he knew that you can't teach all nations unless you know their tongue. Unless you speak their language. Unless you take time to learn their language. Because everybody doesn't know Hebrew. Right. So I can promise you outside of Israel and maybe Alexandria, Egypt, and a few other places where there are synagogues throughout the Roman Empire, I'm just about certain that nobody was speaking Hebrew on the streets of uh, Iran or on the streets of England or on the streets of Saudi Arabia. Jesus said, go teach all nations. That means somebody's got to be willing to take the time to learn. And it's always been my understanding that when you learn some or parts of someone's language, you have a little bit of their heart in you, you see? A little bit of their heart, because you kind of understand them. Now, the king told me many, many years ago that I study different languages. I thank God for that as a teenager, him sharing that uh, with me. But, you know, from time to time, I sit down, and I, I think about the nations and countries, you know, here. All these represent... Thousands and hundreds, thousands of people. Here, here's a Bible in Aramaic. God only knows how many people there are from Lebanon to Syria to Turkey. And here in America, places in Egypt, 
India, Pakistan, where people still speak Syriac, as they call it today. But thank God I had an opportunity to live with a family for a, lot, for a couple of years to learn, learn the language. You see, to be able to talk to them about Christ. Here's, here's the Bible in Arabic. A whole lot of people speak Arabic. That's, that's a primary language around the Mediterranean and there in the Middle East. And then also, here, here's Farsi. I still remember sitting in class, listening to that Iranian man trying to talk to me in Farsi. That's the language they speak in Iran. Here's the Farsi New Testament. It's been a year and a half over in Turkey. Here's the Turkish New Testament right here. Went to Turkish church every single week. All the sermons were in Turkish. None of them were in English. And just sat there right there as uh, in the beginning people were trying to work out the translation for me as I was learning the language. Here's one in Hebrew. Here's a New Testament right here in Hebrew that says Berit Hadashah. Well, just, it's, Berit is a cutting, you see. It's a covenant. And then also here, here's a New Testament in Latin, you see. And I got a Greek one down here in my bag. But the thing is this. All of these here represent thousands of people on planet Earth. This language here isn't even really spoken today, uh, Latin. You do have a neo-Latin movement in Europe right now, but, and they're, they're resurrecting it, but that's still only several hundred people uh, that are dealing with it. But the rest of these, for the most part, are still spoken. I've got a friend of mine just recently died, and when he died, um, he had another scholar friend over in Europe who's Russian, who doesn't know a stitch of English, and since he didn't know any English, I wanted to let him know that our friend had died since we were both mutual correspondents of him. So I sent him a letter, a note in Latin, informing him of the death of a friend of mine. He sent, the le- sent a letter back in Latin, you see. So understand that when, when we talk about languages, all these tongues represent an ability to communicate a particular truth to people. And these things are powerful because the ability to articulate what you're thinking here through your mouth, it goes into someone else's mind, into their hearts. They listen to that. They say, Jesus Christ is the son of God. Absolutely. It's exactly what we're saying. I've told you before, before I was even 30, I'd already been to uh, more than 3000 cities outside of the United States of America. And uh, all over this earth, you have people that are full of superstition. And you have people that are bound by all kinds of traditions and customs that are not related to Christ. And as much as people may say, well, I just don't think it's right for for Christians to go to other people and tell them that their religion is wrong. I, I couldn't disagree with you more. Jesus is the one that said go. Jesus is the one that said I and my father are one. You cannot come to the father except by me. Jesus is the one that made it very plain. Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus is the one that made it very plain that if if, if they hated him, they're going to hate us. That means that we're going to be in locations, in positions where the church of Jesus Christ is not going to be popular. People are not going to like Christians. But if one member of the body of Christ is persecuted, we are hurt. We're all persecuted. You know, I, I read stories from. Voice of the Martyrs and other uh, people that, that, that I'm connected with. And, you know, you think about these people serving God in their own countries and they only get maybe $15 a month. $15 a month go a long way for some evangelist who all he does is ride from village to village on a bicycle. Village to village. That one time preaching in Indonesia, young man came up to me after the meeting just to shake my hand. He just wanted to shake an American preacher's hand who come this far, he came up to me. Man didn't have but maybe three teeth in his whole mouth. But he rode that bicycle 
more than 60 miles to come here in America and talk to them about Christ, you see. I mean, we, we live in a world that's so different. Here, here are people that go so far to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ preached, and if it rains too much, we can't make it to the house of God. If we have a day where it just seems like, oh, I got a pain in my epizootic, oh, I just think I'm just going to stay home today, but these people go so far. What about the believers that love God around the earth and they're in jail right now? The mama that's praying for her baby in Iran because the Iranian government have made it a, a crime for anybody to leave Islam and become a Christian. What about the people in Israel that love Jesus with their whole heart but have been isolated and persecuted by their own family members because now they accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah? What about the good folks that are in places like Europe where Islam is on the rise and they've converted, come to Christ? What about people in Europe that, that were atheists and left atheism to become Christian, but now their academic friends look upon them like they're fools, idiots? All over this world, we are called to be salt, which is a preservative, but at the same time creates a thirst in people's hearts for living water. This is our role. This is our goal as Christians, to be a people that give liberally to support people who go into the uttermost parts of the earth. One of the thing, reasons I like uh, Brother Harry, who has come to minister uh, years past for us a number of times, is because even though uh, our, our churches support Harry monthly, uh, Harry often sends cards and letters to Tiffany and I throughout the month. You know, staying in contact. He's not one of these people that only show up uh, when he's in need of something, you know. Always keeping in contact. Pick up the telephone. He'll be in the airport somewhere, and he'll call and say, Brother, I just want to call and let you know I was thinking about you. Little things like that that mean, mean so much. Uh, same with my friend uh, Jim, who was out here last year. Goes in and out of Indonesia. How many people do you know in their 60s are thinking about moving to the Middle East? He's got grandkids. But you got grandkids that are newborn. You got the call of God. What's going to be the choice? It's a no-brainer. You got to follow God's call, you see. Man puts his hand to the gospel plow, looks back, he's not fit. The past generations knew that. This generation that is of my age doesn't know anything about that because everything now is so centered in the little ones and in the spouse, they can't even conceive of how missionaries years ago oftentimes would have a boarding school in one location in the country as they evangelize the entire country telling folks about Christ, you see. Or the idea that Sometimes the mom would come back to the States with the kids and stay with the kids so the kids could have a good education here. And dad would stay on the mission field another three or four years or five years or ten years coming home two or three times every couple of years. So it's, it's a totally different mentality of sacrifice. Now, I don't think they let most denominational missionaries go overseas unless they raise their money before they go. You've got to have X amount of dollars before you go. But what did Jesus tell his disciples? When you go, don't even carry a purse with you. Don't take a bag. He said, but preach and whoever opens up their home to you, you stay there. Preach the gospel, heal their sick, cast out devils. You say, why? Because if you heal the sick, cast out devils and get folks say you won't lack for money and you won't lack for a place to stay. I know that is a testimony in my own heart and in my own, my own ministry. If you, if you minister the word of God and in meetings where yeah, that grandma been praying on that grandson for years to give his heart to Christ, I'm telling you, you lead that grandson to Christ, grandma going to empty that purse in front of you. 
Not because you asked for it, but because she's so grateful to God. You get that cousin saved that everybody knew was a scoundrel in town fighting and causing problems. I can promise you they're going to make sure that you got a place to rest your head. A nice soft bed if somebody got to give up a bed or a couch for you. This is what it's all about when it comes to the kingdom of God. Putting ourselves on the edge. And the scripture says to give a prophet, a preacher, a minister, a cup of water in the name of that prophet. You'll receive a prophet's reward. That's why I'm waiting on the man of God to come in three weeks so we can bless him. We can do something nice for him and expect a miracle in our own lives. God is good. and He wants us to remember that this place is to be given to help people know about Jesus Christ. And whether you give one dollar, whether you give a hundred dollars or whether you give a thousand dollars. Monies to missionaries are good. I know what people say. Well, you know, why go out to a church that seems like they're always talking about money when you, when, you, when you go out to some churches? Well, you know, most people talk like that. They don't mind talking about money as long as it's going in their pocket. But there are a lot of people out there that do have to go and stand up in churches. And they don't like to have to do it, but they have to. A family got to go up there with their kids and stand there and say, we're your missionaries serving God. And we're over in Bosnia by Herzegovina. And we just want to tell you about what we're doing. And they know when they're telling a story that how they tell the story and what people think about them is going to determine if somebody's going to take a couple of quarters out or a few dollars and give some money towards them in their ministry. And a lot of them don't like to have to do it. But Paul didn't mind asking for money for the poor in Jerusalem. So we shouldn't mind asking for money for people that are serving God when it comes to missions. We don't ever want to be so selfish that it always has to come to us. Like an old preacher said one time, God can't get it to us because he can't get it through us. We got to be like a river, not a lake when it comes to money. That river's got to flow, you see. And whenever you find a place can't be faithful with money and a people can't be faithful with money, you'll find a people that are stifled in their relationship with God. So God knows that if we have an open hand, it's because we have an enlarged heart, you see. And with that enlarged heart comes that open hand but with that stubborn hard heart comes a clenched fist I wish he'd shut up talking to me about giving to people I don't know I got problems in my own life that's why you have problems because we don't prefer someone above ourselves let's all stand if you've been watching this and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior I do want to pray for you and I want to ask the Lord to come into your heart who knows what Jesus might do with you how he might change your family how he might even change your children. He could take one of your children and cause them to become a missionary. And would you be willing to put your child on the altar and allow them to go into the uttermost parts of the earth or to another state, even if it meant you would not be able to see them as often as you would like. But let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for this dear person that's watching, and I ask you to minister to their heart and to their life right now. God, if they're living in sin and lost and praying for a way out, God, help them to find the escape hatch through the blood of Jesus Christ. Help them to know, God, that they can stand up again and they can shoulder every burden, knowing that you're up under every arm and you're strengthening them. So, Father, I pray that through your conviction that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you'd bring them to a place of repentance, trusting in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, which occurred on the cross at Calvary knowing that this man that died was raised on the third day and that he will return to receive him unto himself. So, Father, we thank you for these things now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.
I hope we would all be willing to put it on the altar when it comes to God. Because one day when we stand before the Lord, the one thing I want to hear God say before we get into any kind of conversation, just please, before we talk about anything, say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. If I can't hear well done, I'm going to be crying and I'm in tears because all the other stuff just doesn't even matter. But God's faithful. God's faithful. And we love him with our whole heart. Amen. 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 God bless you today. Praise the name of the Lord.